Shabbat Shalom. I have uh, I've spent the morning in our Shabbat school, and it's been very fun. I'm not saying it's not fun in here, but let me tell you, Shabbat school is where it's at. And I was I often would ask the kids who are there, and I just came from the sixth grade, and I sometimes will point to a chumash, uh, and I'll say, "What's this?" Or ask them, "What is the Torah?" And I get usually the same three or four answers. Whenever I ask the kids, what is the Torah? I get, well, it's a history book. I get, it's a book of laws. I get, it tells lots of stories. And I get, huh? <laughs> but the stories and the laws are probably the things we would think of when we talk about the Torah. And one pointed out that this week, basically, all story. Next few weeks, all stories. Basically, most of Breshit, all stories. So, do we learn any laws, was what I asked. And they said, well, maybe, I guess, you could learn laws from the way that the characters treat each other in the stories or the morals they're in. You could probably pull out some rules from that. And in this week's Parsha, that's certainly true. Now, the, we don't actually learn much, this is maybe controversial, from the character of Joseph. Joseph is, in my opinion, and you can tell me why I'm wrong at Kiddush later, a fundamentally uninteresting character in the Torah. Because Joseph never changes. Joseph starts out being a guy who sort of lords it over his brothers and is ambiguously either kind of nice to them or kind of mean to them, depending on how you want to read the story. And he ends up, after everything that happens to him, being a guy who sort of lords it over his brothers and is either kind of nice to them or kind of mean to them, depending on how you want to read the story. He has basically no character arc at all. Again, we can disagree over cupcakes at Kiddush later. Judah, on the other hand, Judah has an amazing arc throughout this story. Judah starts out being on team murder Joseph, and he goes from there to, well, no, I guess we should sell him instead, to I'm going to protect Benjamin and I'll give up my own life for him. Judah has an amazing arc, and the moment that I think we learn the most from Judah. The moment where you see the flip, I mean, it's a little bit out of order in the chronology of it, but is in the, this, the chapter that's stuck in the middle of the Parsha with Judah and Tamar. So we didn't actually get to it, I think, in the reading this morning for the triennial, so just a quick recap, right? Judah has um, sons. This is, <laughs> hi, kids in the room. Uh, <laughs> So, okay, hold on. We're going to do this. Hi, how are you, George? Nice to see you. <laughs> so Judah has sons. Through a bunch of things that happen with those sons, his one-time daughter-in-law, Tamar, left without a husband or anyone who's supposed to help her have children. He uh, tries to help her have children in a way. And... <laughs> And but also wants to hide that fact. So the scene at the end, okay, maybe that worked. Parents, I'm sorry. 
The scene at the end, though, of that moment is that Tamar produces Judah's what, wallet and signet ring and says, you know, the person who I was with is the person to whom these belong. Judah, I think that's you. And in this moment, the reader knows Judah's been caught. Judah knows Judah's been caught. But we also know that in the biblical society they were in, that actually doesn't matter. Right? If Judah, Judah still had all the power in that moment. Judah could have said, I've never seen this before. I don't know what you're talking about. And Tamar would have still been in trouble and Judah would have been fine. But Judah doesn't say that. He says, Seed Kamimeni. She is, depending on your reading, Rashi says, the read is Tzidka, Kama, Mimeni, right? She is correct, those are from me. But the other commentaries actually go even further and say Tzidka, Mimeni means she is more righteous than I am. And that, I think, is one of the most profound moments in the Parsha, if not the book, that one of our characters finds the courage and ability to say to a character of lesser stature and power, she is more righteous than I. She is correct. I will accept the consequences of my actions. And that moment carries us through. By the way, it's echoed also in, it begins in this Parsha and finishes in next week's Parsha, when the butler who promises Joseph, I'll remember you, I'll come for you after I get out. And then our Parsha ends on the cliffhanger, right, of, and the butler forgot Joseph and didn't remember him, dot, 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 to be continued. And Miketz begins, you know, previously on the Torah. And we get the rest of it. But the butler, when, when Pharaoh has his dreams, he says, my sins I recall today. There is this guy named Joseph, and I forgot him, and he's, right, the butler has the courage in this moment to, what does it mean to recall his sins? What are the sins? Okay, so maybe it's that he forgot Joseph, right? That's one of the reads is his sin is he forgot Joseph. The other read is the sin is the thing that landed him in jail in the first place. And he doesn't really want to mention, hey, Pharaoh, remember when I angered you so much that you threw me in jail? Well, I met a guy when I was in the slammer and he can help us right now, right? doesn't want to recall that, and yet the butler has the courage to bring up his past transgressions and to try to get Pharaoh help. And our people are saved because of it. So the lessons we learn through these two stories are ones of humility, are ones of owning when we are in the wrong and someone else is in the right, and when mentioning something that might embarrass us could help others, you have to go ahead and do it. A later rabbi, I had to write it down because I'm going to forget the year. Moshe al-Sheikh, anyone for 100 million bonus points? Uh, let's go with uh, 16th century Ottoman Empire. Yes! Sorry, sorry. 16th century uh, Ottoman Empire. My daughter's very proud of me. So Moshe al-Sheikh takes both of these two verses. He notes that the thing is that these two verses of Judah saying she is more righteous than I and the butler saying I'm going to recall my sins today are linked. They're linked in humility. They're linked in an idea of memory and recalling. And he says, rightly so, how could any of us reading this story hope to live up to the example that these two guys set? Because Al-Sheikh points out, it's all good to read about it 
and be like, yeah, that's really nice. It's so good to admit when you're wrong and that someone else is right. Yeah, that's totally right. But when it comes to practice of admitting that you are wrong and someone else is correct, it's very, very difficult. You often have to ask your wife to remind you of the, that wasn't the joke we planned, I'm sorry. The joke, the, I was running this sermon for her and she said, do you want to give some examples, Ethan, of moments when you were wrong and should have admitted it? <laughs> so, sorry, we are off the rails, friends. Okay. Back. Al-Sheikh. Al-Sheikh points out that it's very difficult to live up to this. And he also points out that the rabbis understood this and gave us a way to remind ourselves. And what Moshe al-Sheikh says is what, is the, what are the things that remind us to be humble, to admit when we're wrong, to recall our sins to help others? Rabbi Moshe al-Sheikh says all of halakha. The point of all of the laws and rituals that we have is to remind us to be humble. And he's incredibly, he's right. When I read this, I reframed it the way that I see everything. Our legal system reminds us that someone else is in control. Our legal system reminds us that we have to be subjective to someone else's wills. Our rituals remind us that there are times when we recall our sins and try to help them, use them to help others. Three times a day, every time we do the Amidah, we recall that we have sinned and that we are imperfect. And as we go forward, the, there's one main idea that our legal system gives us that is, I think, profoundly helpful when it comes to remembering that we are all imperfect human beings. And that is the, the dichotomy between two things. I'm going to give you the Hebrew words. L'chatchila and b'deavat. L'chatchila means at the outset. I think lawyers a priori is the right way we say that. It means that at the beginning of things, there is an ideal way that you should do something, right? Ideally, milk and meat never touch, never come anywhere near anything at all, ever, ever, ever. B'deavad means now that the thing has been done, right? I mean, after the fact, right? Once something has happened, once a little bit of milk has fallen in the chicken soup, can I eat it or can I not? And the rabbis give us both of these categories because they know that we're humans and we have to live our lives. And that a little milk is going to fall in the chicken soup. Or we're going to be a little late for uh, tefillah and we're going to have to figure out, well, well, can I jump in with the group or can I have to start on my own or do I, what? They understand that we live in the real world, but they also understand that that's okay. Right? The idea, the, the way the rabbis work is not, you know, some milk fell in your chicken soup, torch your kitchen and start all over again. Right? They give us ways to work around it. They give us ways to be imperfect beings and live in the world and still feel holy. And there's one great example of this that we're going to observe tomorrow night. So when we go and do our, our Hanukkiyot tomorrow for Hanukkah, there's lots, by the way, of different ideas of you know, what you can do, at the, what's the l'chadchila and what's the b'deyavad of how you should light the Hanukkiah, where you should light it, when you should light it, how it should happen and when it can happen. But I want to go back to the miracle itself. What's the miracle of Hanukkah? Sure question, there's like seven. But yes, George, what you got? What? 
that we fought off the Yevanim. Yes, that is one of them. This wasn't the one I was looking for. It's my fault for asking the question. But exactly right. And the other one is that what? The oil lasted. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're going to help me out here. Right, that the oil lasted. What is it? It was a little bit of oil that was only going to last for one day. And it lasted for? Eight days, exactly right. But the rabbis being rabbis ask specifically, specifically, how did that work, right? And so the Rosh gives us three different options of how that could have happened. One, you've got enough oil for one night, you pour it in the menorah and all of it, right? Thinking it's only gonna last for a day and wonder of wonder, miracle of miracles, it lasts for eight. Or perhaps they poured an eighth of the jar in at each, right, in on day one, and that little eighth of a jar that should last for an eighth of a day lasts for a whole day, and then the miracle happened again and again and again and again, right? Or they poured it all in, and it only burned off an eighth and an eighth and an eighth. And an eighth. Fine. Okay. Does this matter? I actually think it does a little bit. Because if you think of the rabbi or the, the, the priests who are lighting this as pouring an eighth in and then hoping and waiting, right? They're trying to hedge their bets. They're not entirely trusting in what's going to happen. If they pour it all in, they're putting everything in on that day and they're like, we'll see what happens on day two. And that's actually the one that we go with, which is why each day has its own miracle because each day was a miracle that it lasted. But the point of all of this is what's the real miracle in this moment? The real miracle in this moment is that they lit the candles at all. The real miracle in this moment is that these priests who had been through a war, who find their temple ransacked, who don't have enough oil, who can't do the mitzvah the way that it's supposed to be done. They are in a Bidei Avad world. They know that this is imperfect, and yet they have the courage to enter into that Bidei Avad situation and say, we're going to do our best. And that's what I'm going to remember tomorrow night. Because, friends, L'Chadchila and B'day Avad are not just categories for halakha and Jewish law and Jewish ritual. They're categories for our life. We all have the things in which we want to be. The ideal version of who I am out in the world is very different than who I actually find myself to be. The real version, the ideal version of the way I want to act or what I want to be or how I want things to happen in the world is always, always, always off from what it actually is. We know this from the world that we live in. We know this from the news that we read. What we need is the courage to still act, the courage to light the candles, whatever amount of oil that we have, even though we think it's not sufficient, to act and to try to do good in whatever way that we can, even though we know it might not be sufficient. The courage to step into an imperfect world is the miracle of Hanukkah. It's the miracle of Judah saying, I'm going to give up my status right now. You're correct and I'm wrong. It's the miracle of the butler saying, I will recall my sins, let it be what it will be. Hopefully some good will come from this. The ability to be imperfect, proudly so, is the miracle that we all need to try to step into in the week to come. Shabbat Shalom.